Hey, turn your Bibles, would you, if you've got them with you. 1 Corinthians 10 is where we're going to be the next couple of weeks. We're actually not even going to look at this verse today, but it's going to be the basis for what we're going to look at the next couple of weeks. So I'll keep you in a little bit of suspense as we head into uh, today and, and uh, next Sunday as well. Um, let's read this out loud together if we can. I believe we've got it up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13 uh, says this. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted because, uh, beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, listen, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Here is the main point for the next two weeks. Don't be a loser. Any of us losers in here today? How many of us would say, you know what, I'm just, I'm going around high school and elementary school, yeah, I'm a loser, I get it. Listen, and I don't mean that you're a loser as far as your life. What I mean by a loser is we're a loser sometimes in this fight that we fight with temptation. Uh, and all of us have been there and all of us have done that. And if you think you haven't, you're lying, um, and which means you've got issues and we need to talk after service. So, um, but, we, uh, but, but we are all in some way or another have lost to, the, to temptation. And that's really what we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. Um, is victory possible? Is it really possible to be an overcomer? Is it really possible to overcome sin and temptation in our lives and really find peace? And this kind of on the backside of what Brian's talked about the last couple of weeks, and we've talked about a pretty heavy topic uh, last week of can you be gay and still be saved? And I'm not going to answer that question for you. You'll have to go back and listen to last week's message. And I will tell you that Brian absolutely knocked it out of the park. Um, best message I've ever heard um, on that topic. And so if you didn't get to hear it the last couple of weeks, I'd encourage you to go back to listen to last week as well as the week before uh, when we talked about just the, the purity and the, and the righteousness uh, of God's plan for, for sex and our lives. And so uh, it was really a great couple of weeks. And so I wanted to do on the back side of that is not only talk about how we overcome temptation in that area of our lives, but how we can overcome temptation in every other area of our life. And so um, how many of y'all like to go to the gym? Now, now, I put a word in there. How many of you like to go to the gym? Corey is, Corey is jacked up. How many of you go to the gym but don't really like it? Okay, all right. How many of you wish you went to the gym? All right. How many of you have ever signed a contract at a gym and then never went? How many of you signed a contract at a gym this year? I'm putting my hand up, and I went once. <laughs> I've been paying for my black card at Planet Fitness for three months, and I think I've used it one time. Maybe twice. Now, maybe twice. I went with Corey, and he tried to kill me, and so I never went back again. Um, it's a really small part of the population that likes to go to the gym. Um, people like Sarah and Maria that like to run, I don't understand that. They tell me there's a point where it gets to be fun. I've never gotten there. Seriously, 10 steps later, I have never Never gotten there in 10 steps of running to the point where it felt good. So I just quit. I don't know about the rest of y'all. But, you know, we like the idea of being in shape, right? We like the idea of, of looking good. We like the idea of feeling better. Um, the thought of I could be healthier is, is clearly something we all desire because almost everyone put their hand up when I said, how many of you would like to go and enjoy the gym, right? Uh, we wish it was something that we really like. Um, I, we wish that when we looked in the mirror, we went, man, God, I'm so happy with what you've created in front of me. Um, and I think sometimes maybe we, we, we under, undersell ourselves in that area as well. But when the rubber hits the road, nothing happens. Maybe it's hard to figure out. I know for me that's been the case when I've gone to the gym. It's like, I don't know what to do. I don't like looking like an idiot um, more than I already do. And so I don't go. Um, maybe we don't see results fast enough. I know that's been true for me, right? I worked out for three days. Why didn't I lose 20 pounds? What happened? Um, maybe it's hard to work into our schedule. I think that's true sometimes. Maybe we just figure, I feel okay, bottom line is, we lack discipline. 
Um, and to have discipline in our lives I means we must be a disciple of something. Whether we're a disciple of the gym and we follow that and, and we grow in that, whether we're a disciple of eating right and we grow in that, whether we're a disciple of our jobs and we grow and we learn in our jobs, uh, whether we're a disciple of Christ and we grow and we learn in our faith, we're all a disciple of something. We're all a follower of something, and there's something that we've all committed our lives to, good, bad, and different. There's always something there for us. And I've, I want to say this. I've never met anyone who just happened to stumble into sin. I've never met anyone who just happened to stumble into temptation. I've never met anyone who just happened to, oh, whoops, I sinned. Most of us, if we were honest and it admitted us, would say that, no, we sort of probably set ourselves up for it. We probably put ourselves in a place where we probably shouldn't have, and it pushed us into sin. Neither have I ever met anyone who stumbled into godliness. So not only do we not just stumble into sin, but we also don't just stumble into godliness. I don't know anybody who just decided to follow Christ one day, never read their Bible, never prayed, never came to church, never participated in anything to do with God, never went to a life group, never served, never loved on anybody who stumbled into godliness. I've never met anybody who has, has stood before anybody and said, wow, I found this new form of godliness. If you just take this one pill every day, you will be the godliest person that no one, that anyone is, well, that no one has ever met, really, but that anyone has ever met. It doesn't work like that. We have to put work into it. We have to put energy into it, and we have to become a disciple. And so in the back of, like I said, the last couple of weeks, I want to ask you another question, and it's this. Are we true followers of Jesus and embrace any kind of sin in our lives? It's really easy to focus on what we talked about last week, and that's the perversion of, of what sex looks like in the context of marriage. It's really easy to say, well, um, you know, can we live in that or can we live that? But, but can we live in any, with any other sin in our lives? Is it okay for us to live in sin, regardless of what that may be for us, and to be followers of Christ? Can we grow like that? And that's where we're going to kind of go today. And here's the deal. Sin thrills, Right? Does anybody not enjoy sin? Be, I, seriously, sin is fun. I mean, it's, sin's great, right? If it wasn't, nobody would sin. It would just be all great. But the bottom line is, it thrills and then it kills. It fascinates and then it assassinates. We become fascinated with something and it literally can destroy us. And so we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. What does a Christian's worldview look like and how do we develop it? Why do we be continue to, to be stuck in, sins of beha- in lives of behaviors that are sinful? Um, because we want to know maybe what the Bible, what does it really mean about these things? What, what's God really saying? And, and I don't know that we always understand that. Is it, is it really true or does it apply to me? Is this part of the Bible true and maybe not that? Maybe at one point in my life this was true and at one point in my life this wasn't. Um, and I just and I just tell you, as as somebody who has been out there um, in the dating world for for over a year now, and it's a scary place at this age. I just encourage you not to go there. Um, it's 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 just it's frightening. Um, a lot of a lot of what I hear when we talk about standards and boundaries is, well, that really applied when I was 18 and I hadn't been married yet, but because I have, that doesn't apply to me anymore. And especially when it comes to the topic of sex in dating. Um, so let me just tell you, that doesn't change from when you're 18 to when you're 48, all right? It's a temptation no matter where you are, and if you don't lay out boundaries, guess what? You didn't just stumble into that sin, okay? And so uh, what I want to say to that is we've got to be careful where we put ourselves. John 10.10 says this, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is what our enemy wants to do. That is his only desire, that's his only mission, is to destroy you, kill, kill you, and steal from you. 
And he wants to do that in your marriage. He wants to do that in your relationships. He wants to do that with your children. He wants to do that to your job. He wants to do that to your finances. It doesn't matter what part of your life you might be looking at as you sit there this morning. Our enemy, Satan, wants to destroy you, and even more so those who are followers of Jesus. And so even more so we have to put on the armor of God. Even more so we have to be careful about where we put ourselves. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. Let me read that again. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. Anything that gets in our way of being obedient to God, anything that we place there, anything that might cause us to stumble, that costs us to be obedient to God's commands in His Word and through the, ch- and through, and through the church and through His people is something that takes us away from the focus of God, that vertical focus that we talked about during worship. And listen, temptation is everywhere, and it's in everything. And so in this moment, if you've got something to write on or you've got something you can mentally take a note in, you can take out that Connect card in front of you. There should be pins everywhere. I want everybody to do this. I want you to just take that out. And for just a moment, I want you to think about the one thing in your life, the one sin, the one area that you have, have just a hard time getting a hold of and that you are continually tempted in and continually fall in. It could be, it could be something as simple as, man, I have a hard time controlling my language. Like, I, I just cuss like a sailor when, I, sailor when I'm at work. Um, I, I know that was true for me when I used to work in the ER. Man, ERs are just, you probably heard me say this before, but man, ERs are just, they're just foul. I mean, everybody cusses, everybody tells birdie jokes. I mean, and they're funny, so you can't help but laugh sometimes. But, but everybody kind of does that, and so it's really easy to fall into that. It was something I really had to struggle with. In fact, it was part of the reason I left the emergency room. Um, and went to a children's hospital because I was like, man, I, I got to get this like I got to get this out of my life. Sometimes the things that tempt us, sometimes the things that push us into sin, are things that we need to get rid of in our lives. And maybe that is even changing jobs for you, or or changing relationships, or getting out of a relationship, or getting into a relationship, or getting into God's word, whatever that may be. But I want you to just take a minute and write down that one thing that you just continually struggle with. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's Maybe it is a a relationship outside of the will of God. Maybe it is um, the way we talk to our kids. Maybe uh, maybe for you it's cussing. I don't know what it is for you. Uh, Maybe honoring God with our finances. Uh, Whatever that might be, I I just want you to have it right here in the front of your mind and put it on a piece of paper so you can see it. If you're sitting there telling me you don't have something, again, I'm just going to say you're lying. We all have something, right? There's something we all struggle with. Um, None of us has reached perfection at this point in our lives. And so what are the temptations that you face that stand and cause you to stumble into that sin? What are the things that, here's the sin, but here's the things I keep doing that keep causing me to stumble into that sin? And think about those things. What are the things that maybe I need to remove? And I would just ask you, and I'm going to pray that God would show you, because sometimes we're not aware. Sometimes we don't know what is pushing us into that sin in our lives. Sometimes there's a temptation there and we're not even sure what it is. So let's pray together. And I'm just going to pray that God would just really open our eyes uh, and that he would deliver us from some things this morning maybe that are holding us up. And we can really take an incredible next step in our journey with Jesus. Father, uh, you are an amazing God. Lord, um, you have said in your word that you don't tempt us, God. You test us, but you don't tempt us. God, that most of the temptation that we fall into is because of really our own dumb doing most of the time whether we're oblivious or not. Um, God, we fall into the sin that quickly entangles us. And so this morning, Father, I pray for a deliverance from that. I pray for a clarity to that. 
Um, God, I pray that you'll move in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will speak to us in a supernatural way as we unpack and unlock your word and look um, at the life of two men who, um, who did it right and didn't do it right. And as we look at um, how we can protect ourselves and walk closer to you in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that we've got to begin to do is set up guardrails in our life. And, um, and there's a really great picture of a guardrail here. You guys have seen them along the highway. How many of you have driven up like Pikes Peak where there is no guardrail? And it's really scary. Debbie did it on a motorcycle. No thank you, right? Ain't doing it. I can't believe you did it, actually, when you got back. I was like, Debbie's still alive. That's amazing. I can't imagine riding along that trail without a guardrail. I mean, that's a long, stinking fall, right? And that's what those guardrails are there for in our lives. And guardrails are there on the roads to protect us, but we also can put guardrails in our lives to protect us. What happens when we don't have guardrails in our lives is that we fall off the cliff. But here's what guardrails do for us. Check out this picture. I found this online. Here's what a guardrail is supposed to do. It's supposed to keep us from falling off the cliff. And when we look at that in comparison to sin, when we look at that in comparison to temptation, those guardrails can keep us from falling into that sin. We put those guardrails in our lives, those guardrails being other people, those guardrails being the Word of God, those guardrails being in church, those guardrails being a part of a life group, those guardrails serving in the church, having healthy relationships, reading the Word of God. All those things are guardrails in our lives. And when they work right, this is what happens. Listen, we may get hurt. We may get injured. We might screw up our, our lives a little bit, but we're not going to fall off the cliff into that sin. And that's what those guardrails are there for. And it doesn't matter whether it's an overeat, we overspend, we compare, uh, we have a substance problem, uh, we lust, we criticize, we have temper issues. Um, whatever they may be, that's what those guardrails are there for. And it keeps us from falling into them. Now, I want to I say this before we jump into this. Have you heard the term legalism before? How many, term, how, do term, how many of you have a good thought when you think of the word legalism? How many of you just think, that's such a great word. I love the word legalism. Man, I wish I had more legalism in my life. Legalism is this, is that we impose standards that aren't God-breathed into the, our, into the lives of other people. And here's the deal. What causes you to stumble may not cause me to stumble. What's true for you in your life as far as you dealing with sin may not be true in my life as far as what I deal with sin. However, we need to be sensitive to that with other people. Um, the, you know, there are lots of things that are okay, but there's lots of things that cause other people to stumble in their lives. And, and we never want to be that. Um, and so uh, it's just, it's not absolute for everyone. And so I don't, I don't want us to be legalistic as we think about this this morning. I don't want you to think about somebody else. I want you to think about yourself as we look at this. All right, God's commands are always followed by a promise. And this is what's great. He promises this, the, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, all great stuff. Um, and so as we look at this idea of not being a loser, I want to talk about the process of temptation. All right, the process of temptation. It looks like this. First of all, we have a thought. All right, so we'll just use this for an example. I'm sitting around and I'm feeling down. Um, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling just kind of... How many of you are... Um, upset shoppers. Anybody an upset shopper? You like to go shopping when you're upset. Um, I'm one of those people, and so um, I, I know it's bizarre. Uh, it's one of my many manly features that, that, that people love about me, um, that I love to go shopping when I get upset. I just, I don't know what it is, but there's something about it. Um, and so for, we think about that, and, and I get down, and I think, man, if I, maybe I just need to buy something. And it's not even, it's not even a cognizant thing of 
man, I feel like trash, so I'm going to go shopping. Um, I think my daughter might suffer from this too. Um, but um, when I, you know, it's not one of these like, I'm just watching Corey and Madison down here, and she's just like, he's, he's going, see Madison, see, and Corey's focusing on Madison, so he's sinning right now too. So uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for Corey. Um, but anyway, um, you know, it's not even a cognizant thing. It's not even something that I go, oh, I feel like trash. I'm going to shop now. It's just, I just, all of a sudden, I find myself at Kohl's or at Walmart or at Target. How did I get here? I don't know. It must be the incredible, the incredible pretzels at Target they don't have anymore. Um, and so I want to buy something. And so my thought then turns to imagination. What could be if I went shopping? What would I buy? What would that look like? Hmm, I think I'll look. And so I, I decide that I'm going to buy myself a new, a new jacket. And then I think to myself on the backside of that, well, there's a justification in that. I feel like trash. It's okay if I shop today. It doesn't matter if I'm going to push my checking account into the negative. I'll feel better afterwards, right? And then there's the choice. So we go from thought to imagination to justification to making the choice. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Nothing up until the point of choice has been sin, okay? Nothing has caused me to stumble into an area that I shouldn't stumble into because I struggle in it. But let me put it in this way. I have the thought that I'm alone, and I'm a single guy, and I'm feeling lustful. And that thought goes through my mind. And it's not just us single men either, is it, fellas? And then we begin to imagine, I wonder what's on Instagram tonight. I wonder what's on TikTok, on the reels. I wonder what I might see there. And make no mistake, it's soft porn. And then I think to myself, you know... I've been single for three years now. I think it's okay if I get on there and look. And so I get on Instagram or I get on TikTok or maybe I get on one of the many bazillions of websites that host things that we shouldn't be looking at. And I justify it. And then I make that choice to log in. Nothing I have done to the point of making that choice has been sinful. All of those things could have been taken captive. I could have taken the thought captive. I could have taken the imagination captive. I could have taken the justification captive and stopped. The moment I make that choice is the moment I've let temptation take over and I've sinned. So I want you to keep those things in mind as we walk through um, this story this morning. Um, and this is, a, this is just a great example of, of, a, of putting ourselves in, in the way of temptation. Uh, there's a guy who, uh, who really loves donuts, and he's, he's on a diet, and uh, so he hasn't been eating any donuts. And, uh, and so he says, you know, God, I'm going to get in my car this morning on my way to work. If I drive by Lamar's Donuts this morning and that front parking spot is open, I'll know it's you, Lord God, and I'm going to stop there and I'm going to pull in that front spot and I'm going to have myself a lemon-filled Bismarck. That's my, that's my downfall. Um, and so the guy gets in his car, he drives by. Sure enough, that front spot's open. He pulls in. After the 11th time around the block, that front spot's open and he pulls in and gets himself a donut. He continues to just wait for that spot to open up, right? And he pulls in and gets that donut. And so he makes that choice. Nothing he did circling that block was, was a sin until he made that choice. And so we're going to look at the, uh, the lives of two different men over the next two weeks. One today, one next week. Uh, the first one gave in to temptation. The second one fought it off. The first one took the easy road that ended up being incredibly costly. Uh, the second one took the hard road that ended up with a great reward. The first one had it all, and the second one really came from having nothing. And so we're going to look at the life of David for just a few minutes here uh, as we dig in this morning. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, that'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 
uh, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And I'm not going to read all of it, so you can read through that this week if you'd like. Uh, but I want you to keep in mind as we, that, that oftentimes we rush to destroy, and I'm going to put it in this context because you've seen it over and over again, but we've seen national, nationally famous, televised, up there on the speaking circuit, pastors and preachers fall to sin. And we're really, really quick to judge them. Um, I remember several years ago, and you'll have to go way back in contemporary Christian music. Uh, if you've been around for very long, you'll remember this. But there was an up-and-coming guy by the name of Michael English, um, who I actually got compared to that I used to look like. And he was really, really good looking. And so I was okay with that. And he had hair. And at that point, I did too. And so I had a mullet, which is probably why God took my hair. Because... Um, because I sinned and got a perm in my mullet. So um, I'm pretty sure this is an example of that. But um, anyway, so I remember I was on the road actually out with, uh, with a guy named Michael Card. I was working with production with him at the time, um, working out in Nashville. And we were touring. And I remember the, the, um, the rep from the, the, uh, the recording company came on our bus and, had, and told us what had happened. And uh, Michael at the peak had just won a couple of Dove Awards. And, and his career was just trajecting upwards. Um, you can still hear his music. It's amazing. He still records some with the Gaither uh, vocal band and Gaithers if you're into old Southern gospel stuff, and you might be surprised to know that I am. But um, anyway, he had an affair with a girl from another group called First Call, and it destroyed all of their careers. First Call never came back, and Michael never really came back. The thing that was most sad about that uh, was the fact that the church was quick to judge, and the church was quick to say, well, how dare you? How could you do that? You're famous, without looking in the mirror and saying, well, I did it. And I want forgiveness, so why can't I offer that to somebody else? And so I want us to look at the life of, of David this morning, and, and David being a man after God's own heart, but David also being a man who just royally screwed up, who royally messed up his life. Um, and, and like I said, as we talked about last week and the last couple of weeks, this really piggybacks on kind of what Brian had talked about. Um, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, verses 1 uh, through 5, I'm just going to read these. Uh, it says this in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. All right, hold on, stop right here. Do we see a problem coming here? Could there be an issue? We're walking around, it's evening time, it's probably cool outside hanging out on the roof, just looking around the city, and all of a sudden, there's a woman over here bathing. All right, what should have happened here is not what happened, so let's keep reading. And David, uh, the woman was very beautiful, problem number two. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Oops. I mean, that's like a whole lot of life in like five verses. And that's how quick we can completely and utterly destroy our lives when we stumble into sin. David was a great man. He was a king. He literally had it all. He had seven wives at this point of his life. And I'm sure, I'm sure that they were all Miss America. All right. I'm sure they were all swimsuit cover models. I mean, that's just right. I mean, because that's just what we're going to assume he was after, because this says that this woman was like that. And so she had done nothing wrong, to be very clear. 
She was doing what she had always done. And so what happened was David went from chief to chump in a quick hurry. First thing that happened is he was idle. He had sent his army off to war, and normally kings would go with them. He didn't go with them. He stayed behind while his army was fighting. And so he was idle at that time. Um, And this is where that thought comes in, right? I'm alone. I'm hanging out. Yeah, I got seven wives, but why not have another one? Um, I don't really know what was happening in his mind at that time, but for certain, he put himself in a place where he could have walked away. Um, He went beyond looking, right? He gazed over and saw her, but and as he did, his imagination began to wonder, right? So he had the thought, and then he had the imagination, and thought, I wonder who she is. I wonder what it would be like to be with her. I wonder what would happen if. I wonder if she's married. I wonder who her family is. His imagination really began to roar there. And then he invoked his own will over God's, and he began to justify. I'm sure in his own mind, would this be okay? Well, of course it would be okay, because I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. I'm the king of it. God's blessing is on me, right? So I can do whatever I want. And so he sins for her. Again, up until this point, other than the sin of lust, he really hadn't committed a sin that was going to destroy his life. But he had the thought, he used his imagination, and then he began to justify it. And he fell, and he fell hard. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, Though we live in a world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We take every thought captive. Every thought captive. We have to begin in our lives to grab onto everything that goes through our minds and hold it up before the throne of God and say, is this from you? And that's what taking that thought captive means. It means that I am not going to give in to the other things that set themselves up for me to fall, but I'm going to take those thoughts captive before they ever become imagination, before they ever become uh, justification, and before they ever become a choice to sin. Verse 41 says, watch and, of Matthew 26 says, watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And boy, is that true. And so the fourth thing that he does is he called her to him, and he made a choice. She's married, by the way, and nothing about this is okay, and David knows it. And so he slept with her and got her pregnant. Now pay attention to the after effects of the sin, because here's what I want us to grab. Our sin has consequences not only in our own lives, but in the lives of so many people around us, our families, our friends, our relationships, our coworkers. And so I want to look at these, these three people in this story and, and how this affected them. Bathsheba goes back and tells David that she's pregnant, and David panics. And so knowing that her husband was off to war, in fact, Uriah was one of David's 37 mighty men, who was one of his top uh, lieutenants that fought in the war for him and in his army. And so he calls Uriah back from the war because his immediate thought is, what if somebody finds out what I just did? Like, I'm king. This, I mean, I think he realizes pretty instantly, this could really screw up my life. This could really screw up God's blessing on me. And so 
He calls Uriah back from war. And he even has the guts, once Uriah gets back, to sit down with, with Uriah and ask him, hey, bro, how's the war going? What's up? Like, talks to him like he's his best friend and treats him like a pal. Um, they ate and they drank together. They had a meal together. I mean, can you imagine the gall and the pre-planning that had to go in place for David to try to cover up his sin? And so he, he says to Uriah, hey, I know you're back from the war. Why don't you go home and be with your wife tonight? You've been fighting. You've been, you know, you've been off at work. Why don't you just go take some time? Go back to your house. Enjoy your wife and, and come back tomorrow. And so he gets him drunk. <laughs> and Uriah sleeps on the steps of the temple and doesn't go back to his home. And so David sees this and again panics because now his plan has been completely blown to pieces because his thought was, if I have her husband sleep with her, it's not like there were DNA tests back then. There's nobody ordering a match 23 from whatever the website is, try to find out who the dad is, right? Nobody will ever know. And so that doesn't work. And so now he begins plotting even further, all because he made a choice. And so he sends him with a letter back to the war. So Uriah carries a letter that's his death sentence, and he doesn't know it. He doesn't open the letter. He doesn't think to himself, hey, what, what could be in this letter? He sends this letter back to uh, Joab, the commander of the army there. And this letter says, I want you to put Uriah on the front line of the battle. And once you get him there and the fighting intensifies, I want you to withdraw and leave him. I mean, this is, this is a sadistic, thought-out plan all to try to cover up this sin and to try to protect his reputation. And so that's exactly what happens. And guess what? Uriah is killed in battle. And so his thought is, I can't cover it up with it being her baby, so I'll just have her husband killed. And once I do that, then she can come to me. I'll comfort her. It'll be okay. I'll take her as my eighth wife. That'll cover up all of it, and it'll all be fine. And I think for a few minutes, maybe he thought he was successful in this. Uh, maybe just for a little while, he thought, you know, I can make this be okay, and I think I've accomplished that. But here's the thing. We can't hide from God. We can't cover up our sin enough or go deep enough into hiding that God can't find us, that God can't come and grab on and, and make known what we've done. We can't control others. In fact, most of the time, we can't control much of anything. And we certainly can't control what happens after we've fallen into this kind of sin. It's, it's an illusion. And so 2 Samuel, as we read on uh, 11 verses 10 and 11, says this. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? And why don't you go home? So this is what we just talked about. He said, how could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely I live, I won't do that. And so Uriah is noble and righteous. He's done nothing wrong. In fact, his name is a Hittite name, and from the Hebrew, it means believer in God. He was a dedicated soldier. He was accomplished, uh, as we talked about, and he was trustworthy. Uriah became collateral damage for David's sin and for David's lust. And ultimately, it cost Uriah his life, and it cost Uriah's family a son and a brother and maybe an aunt, maybe an uncle, but it costs someone their life. And then you look at Bathsheba and what happened with her, because she was collateral damage as well. She lost her husband, and I can tell you from experience that doesn't just go away. You live with that the rest of your life. And so she's been damaged in a way that she'll never recover from. 
She'll always feel that. She'll always have that connection to Uriah, her husband, who was a great man of God from everything that we read. She loses not only that, but we read down in verse 14 of 2 Samuel 12, that because by doing this, um, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. This is to David. And so she not only loses that, but she loses that baby that she conceived with David. So her firstborn child is taken from her, again, because David sinned. That's not to say that she didn't sin, but we also don't know that she had a whole lot of choice in the kingdom at that time and the way things functioned. He was the king and you did what you were told. So she was collateral damage. The grandparents lost their first grandchild, the embarrassment to their family, the turmoil of a relationship with David that would follow. And then we look at the effect on David, who was called out by Nathan. Uh, as we look in verse 12 here, it says this, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. And so he raised it. And it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arm. It was like a daughter to him. And now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to, to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the one new lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now watch this. David does this. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he, did, because he did such a thing and had no pity. And so David hears this story of, of, of this rich man who had it all but stole from a poor man because he, he didn't want to give up something of his own and wanted something more. And David says, how dare he? This man should be like destroyed and killed. But David had done that very same thing. And Nathan called him out on it and said, that's you, David. You have done that very same thing with Uriah. You have done that very same thing in taking Bathsheba as your own. In fact, David was appalled and prescribed his own punishment. God says, you know, I gave you all of this, but it wasn't enough. I blessed you with a kingdom, but it wasn't enough. You fought as a kid and beat Goliath, but it wasn't enough. I've given you, and you've been able to bring the ark back to back to the kingdom, but it wasn't enough. I've protected you from your enemies, but it wasn't enough. I've given you seven wives, but it wasn't enough. You had to take what wasn't yours because you thought you could. And that's so true for us. And so in verse 10, Nathan says this, now if therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, now watch this, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But the rest of his life, he dealt with strife. When you read David's life from this point forward, that one thing affected everything that happened to him from that point forward. Every time we sin, every time we fall back into whatever that is that you wrote on your card, we start over and we suffer the consequences of that. We suffer from our choice. 
his son died, and the fourfold things, and you can, you can read about this, but his daughter Tamar was raped by his son and, uh, Amnon. So there's one. Number two, Amnon murdered by his brother Absalom. Absalom was so inflamed um, that Amnon had raped Tamar that he killed his brother. Number three, Absalom betrayed David and went for his own kingship and, kill, and was killed by Joab. Absalom uh, was raped, uh, also raped David's concubine. So we look at those, those, seven, those seven wives that were taken and somebody else took advantage of. All those things that were prescribed happened. Those four things that happened. He lost a son, two sons. His daughter was raped. His home was in calamity. His home fell apart because of his choice. And that also affected the kingdom, all because of one temptation, all because of an imagination, a justification, and a choice. Now, to be clear, listen, David was forgiven. It's interesting that David said, this man should be killed, but God spared his life. But he said, you're going to live with the consequences of this. His relationship with God was restored. God didn't leave him or forsake him, and God continued to use him to rule over Israel. But listen, and we can't say, we can't understand this strong enough. It doesn't, even if we have Jesus in our lives, even if we call ourselves believers of of Christ, even if we are Christ ones, Christians, when we fall and we give into that temptation and that sin, there are still consequences that come. I don't know how many people I've counseled with over the years that say, why hasn't God fixed this? Why am I continuing to deal with this? I, 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 I accepted Christ, and why does this still continue to be a thing in my life? Why can't I get past this sin? And the answer is because you haven't surrendered, because you haven't given it over to Christ, because you haven't put guardrails in your life that will protect you from continuing to fall into that sin. And that sin has consequences just like it did for David. Until we begin to live a life of obedience, until we begin to follow the precepts and principles that are in God's Word, until we begin to understand that God's Word is the way to live our lives, and that if we live outside of that, we're going to suffer consequences. God's not going to bless that. When we live in sin, God cannot bless that. That doesn't mean He can't continue to work in your life. That doesn't mean He's left you. But we have to repent, and we have to come back to him and say, I'm running from that. I'm turning away from it, and I'm going to go full bore towards Jesus and put those guardrails in my life. When we talk about next steps every week here at church, when I say, hey, get that Connect card out, grab it, there are next steps for all of us to take. This is what we're talking about. This is what we mean. If you're struggling, even if you're not, I promise you will, getting involved in a life group, being a part of discipleship, being baptized, maybe coming to Christ for the first time and really following him and surrendering our lives to him, not just in lip service, but in heart and offering our lives to him to say that God, regardless of whatever else may happen, I'm going to follow you. Whatever my consequences may come from what I did back here, I know that moving forward, you're going to take care of those things, that as I am consistent in following you, and as I'm consistent in obedience, that you're going you're gonna to continue to work in my life. And God, even those things that may have been hurt, God, you can restore. You can fix those things. You can restore relationships. You can fix marriages. You can bring children back to you. You can make all things new because you are God. And I'm going to follow you 
regardless of what else. Until we get to that place in our lives, until we reach a point where we're willing to say, I am done with whatever it is, and we focus all of our heart's attention, and our, our mind's attention, our heart's affection on Jesus, we will continue to struggle. You will continue to struggle. But God sent Jesus for a new start and a clean slate. Romans says that we've all fallen short. We've all done it. We've all sinned. But he says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we're a new creation, that all old things have all passed away. If we continue to live in it, that's on us. Because God says, that stuff's gone. You don't have to live in that anymore. I have made you a new creation. I have given you the Holy Spirit. I have given you everything you need to walk in holiness and to walk before me. 1 John 1, 3 through 4 says that I was crucified with Christ, that all that stuff uh, was, was given away. When we baptized, like we did just a few weeks ago, we've baptized these, these five kids in the last few months. When we stand in here and we say, we baptize you in the name of Jesus, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Nothing magical happens there, but it's a representation of what God has done in our hearts and our lives, that he's forgiven that, that he has placed it in the tomb with Jesus. And just as Jesus rose to walk in newness of life, holds the keys to death and Hades, holds the keys to our lives, in that same way, we get to raise and walk in newness of life if we choose to, if we make that choice, if we decide that it's worth it. He says that we'll have life and have it more abundantly. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. I think maybe before temptation comes, we just need to say, hey, before you pitch a tent in my mind, let me, let me take a good hard look at, at, at you and what that sin is. Because when I look at it, it really isn't in line with the work of God in my life. And if it's not compatible with what God says, then God says, don't do it and run away from it. Flee from sin, flee from the enemy, and he will raise you up to walk in newness of life. Let's pray together. God, we, um, God, we are all tempted in so many ways. God, there is literally temptation in the palm of our hands as we walk through our lives. God, that, that mobile device that we even just carry in our hands, God, is such a temptation. God, it can be a temptation for our time. It can be a temptation for lust. It can be t- a temptation for a relationship to begin outside of our marriage. It, it can be a temptation that, that maybe there's something better out there for us. God, there, there's better things for us that the world has to offer. But God, you've said the best thing is to follow you. The best thing is to immerse ourselves in your word. The best thing is to serve alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we we connect ourselves to a body, when we connect ourselves to a church, when we say, I'm going to embed my life in this community, in this home, in this family, and I'm going to walk through my life with these people by my side, and I'm going to allow them to hold me accountable, Lord God, and I'm going to let them 
confront me when I get caught in sin. And God, we're going to have relationships where iron sharpens iron. And God, I'm going to be a part of a, of a life group, and I'm going to follow you in baptism for the first time. God, maybe today somebody here says, I need to follow you for the very first time. I really need to give my heart to, to the Lord Jesus today. I am tired of living in sin. I am tired of being frustrated. I'm tired of being defeated. I'm tired of being run over. I'm tired of being tired. And God, I need you this morning. If that's you today, I just want to encourage you that God has something incredible planned for your life. He says he knew you in the womb. He has things planned for you that you can't begin to imagine or think of. And if that's you this morning and for the very first time you just say, listen, I'm tired of this and I really need to just give my heart and my life to Jesus. Or, or maybe you are a Christ follower and you have just fallen into sin and you need out of it and you need to restore that relationship with Jesus. Right now in this moment is that time. I just want to encourage you, if that's you, I'm going to, I'm going to pray with you. And you don't have to repeat anything out loud. There's nothing magic about anything I'm going to say other than just to say these words. Lord Jesus, today, in this moment, in this place, I surrender. I give up, Jesus. I have had it with sin I have had it with the consequences of sin. I have had it with living my life like this. Jesus, would you come and make all things new? Would you come and forgive this? And Lord God, deliver me from this sin in my life. I know that only through the power of your Holy Spirit can I overcome. I know that only through you, Jesus, can I fight off temptation? And this morning, I give up. I am yours from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen.